So by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCore subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. By way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee byway of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hello, y'all. All right. So as many of y'all know by now, I just wrapped up possibly one of the biggest projects of my life. Um, and yeah, I'm talking about chasing the swallow. And that little book, like seriously cost me as many stretch marks and, and a jelly roll um, as uh, my two great joys in life are silly, very stinky and sweet Goose and Bear Dawson. All right. So why do I bring this up? Because y'all, I am, I am wiped. 
I am utterly and completely wrung out. And for those of you that haven't heard that phrase, because you may not be from a holler back in Virginia, um, it means when you squeeze a towel dry, it's it's wrung out, right? Like you're just, you're twisting it. And that's how I feel. For the last several months, I have poured my everything into juggling the hats of being a a full-time wife and mama, and then adding in my clinical SLP hats of advocacy, treating, collaborating, my coordinator hats of finding practicum sites, ensuring patient safety in our clinic, reviewing potential CF resumes. And y'all, that list goes on and on and on. And I am sure yours is just as long, if not longer. So how many of you honestly hide in the bathroom for a few minutes to catch your breath? How many of you honestly sit in your car between houses and just crank up the music to drown out or like avoid that growing plethora of notes and evals that need to be written? How many of you need a good cry but are afraid once you start, you don't know how you're going to stop? I feel this. I, I feel this to my core, to my bones. I get it. And I have one last question. How many of you can tell that your families, the caregivers of your patients, that they need this too, right? So there it is. All right, let me introduce our guest today, Ms. Kayla Duncan, MS in Applied Psychology, Francis Marion University's Assistant Director of Counseling and Testing, Adjunct Professor, and Advocate for Student and Clinicians' Mental Health and Well-Being. Y'all, when I say I care about mental health, when I say this is important, she does, and she lives this even more than myself. And, and personally, I suck at the work-life balance, but like I admit it. And I know that I am a work in progress, but I have tried to teach this to the next generation of SLP clinicians, the value of self-care while they're students. And, and that's how I got to Ms. Kayla because she came, she did an in-service on this very topic to our grad SLPs, because we are trying to set them for success. We're giving them a foundation and, and oh my God, they loved her. Um, I started doing the tapping. I did the tapping with both of my boys now. Um, and, uh, so hi, Kayla, thank you so much for coming on and, and inspiring and mending all of us. Hi. <laughs> hi, thank you for having me on. I'm so, so honored to be, to be on and talking with you all. This was, um, you showed up and you showed up and you were just raw and you were candid and everybody was like, this is not a stuffy speaker. This is fantastic. Because, <laughs> you know, when you, you know, when you're in grad school and you get like the stuffy speakers and you're like, Rrr, but you just like laid it out and then thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I feel like most things you should just be honest about, <laughs> especially in a service industry, you got to just lay it out because if you don't, they're going to go in blind. Yes, and they, they, exactly, which is why, so y'all, I saw the stress of our students. I mean, my God, grad school is hard and I feel like it's gotten harder and I don't know why it's gotten, I mean, I mean, I remember feeling like it was absolutely insurmountable, but we all survived it and now here we are and yes, so we um, we reached out, Miss Kayla came and then gave a bunch of functional resources and told the students where they can find self-help and and it honest to God, it made a difference because I know that even for our immediate clinicians that our student clinicians that several reached out and that's wonderful and and when I told some colleagues about it, one of my girlfriends was so inspired. she started seeing a counselor. So oh, 
Yes. Yes. Okay. But of <laughs> all of the things you're from, where is it? Lancaster, South Carolina? Well, if we want to be correct, it's Lancaster. Lancaster. That's how we say it. <laughs> yeah, we say Lancaster. So we, we put it together. But yes, I'm from Lancaster, South Carolina. Okay. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> it is. So it's 30 minutes outside of Rock Hill and about 45 to 50 outside of Charlotte. So we're South Carolina, but the, the line in North Carolina is not too far. Okay. Are you east? You're east, right? East of Rock Hill? So? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see it on a map. Okay. Yeah, we're right. the Piedmont area. Yes. yes. Okay. So how in the world of all of the professions did you choose one where you're a perpetual giver? Because that's what you're doing. <laughs> I think I've always been like that. Even when I was a little girl, like I would, my friends would come to me and tell me things and I would just be the, like the mom of the group. I've always been like that even when I was little. And I think when I was up until probably about high school, mid high school, I was very set on being a lawyer. I knew what law school I was going to go to, uh, all this kind of stuff. I was very, very dedicated to that. And I took a class in the 10th grade that was psychology, sociology class, fell in love with the content. And I immediately went home and told my parents, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to be a therapist or a psychologist or, or something. I want to be something related to psych. And my dad was like, okay, well, if you want to do that, like just find out what you need to do. And I was like, okay. And so ever since then, that's been planned. Okay. Do you have brothers, sisters? Are you an only child? I'm super nosy. So I have, oh, it's okay. I have a younger brother. His name is Wyatt. Yes, like Wyatt Earp. <laughs> so that's his name, but not named after Wyatt Earp. He's named after our great grandfather. But um, he, we're six years apart. And so he's a joy. I was with my parents and him this weekend for their, my mom's 60th birthday and my parents' 40th anniversary. So that was nice to be, be around family. That's, that's a big to do. I'm just saying mm -hmm. 40 years of marriage. That is a, that is a testament of love and patience. <laughs> Yes. I, I asked my dad, I said, well, what's the secret of 40 years? He was like, your mom doesn't pay me any attention. So that's how we, that's how we keep it going. I was like, okay. My, my husband, he, he has learned to not question the Amazon deliveries. That's, that's, that's what that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's very patient. He's like, okay, so Amazon's coming. And I'm like, well, there was a sundress and it was on prime. <laughs> and so like, exactly. Yeah. Boom. Yes. Patience. Don't question. Slight neglect. We're good. Fine. <laughs> okay. So um, you, within the field of psychology, I understand that there's different, I, I even learned just recently, there's a subset of psychology called environmental psychology, which just kind of blew my mm -hmm. mind. How did you pick the specific area where you're mentoring students? Because that's, and that's a neat niche niche pocket in the universe. Yes. <laughs> I would say, so my, so straight out of uh, undergrad, well, not undergrad, but straight out of master's because I did my master's here, Francis Marion, I'm undergrad. I um, always knew I liked, I like, I, I, when I went out of school, I was like, I want to work with kids, which I still work with kids. I did have the opportunity. I worked with every age. And so I worked in addictions for years. Love that. I did things with children. I did things with adolescents, with women specifically that I found my niche in that. And then I always kept in contact with Dr. Lawson here, who was the director who retired recently. Um, and I always knew like, gosh, Frank Smear and always felt like home. I always wanted to give back. And I knew I really loved 
the college population because I taught. So I taught straight out of school up until now. And so I just loved, even when I was just, you know, doing adjunct, I just loved talking to my students after, after class, like, okay, like, what are your goals? Like, how, how can, how can I help you get there? And so when this opportunity opened up to be the assistant director uh, a few years ago, I jumped on it. Um, because I was like, this would be amazing to be able to not only mentor them in the career field, but also to be a voice, an advocate, and also a support for them going through. Because I remember my undergrad years and how, I'm not going to say rocky, but how uh, difficult at times they were. <laughs> um, because you're so young and you think you know everything and then you change things and plans change and it can feel so heavy and you can feel so alone. And I always like to think our office is there to make sure people don't feel that way and we can help people find support and also help them guide them because a lot of people just don't have that in their life. And I found that to be very fulfilling doing what I do. That's amazing. I remember going to a psychologist when I left my ex-husband and I just wanted to know that it was okay to be like murder level mad because he did try to kill me. And like, that was very life affirming oh. for them to say, yes, that it's okay to be that. You just can't act on the murder mad. That's how she right. described the emotion. And I was like, okay, so I won't act on murder mad, but I am okay to feel this way. And she was like, yes. Yes. So I never acted on it. Thank the good Lord. The murder mad has passed, <laughs> but like, that's a hot kind of mad. <laughs> yes. Okay. Everybody's like, Ooh, Michelle has a dark, creepy side. <laughs> just a little. Just a little. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So let's, let's transition this over to, to us, um, to the world of mm -hmm. speech. So in, in the world of speech pathology, I mean, most of most of the first bite folks are pediatric clinicians, right? So we we may be NICU therapists, um, pediatric outpatient hospitals, private practice, home health. But I feel like two thirds of what we're doing is advocating and counseling because we're giving the families advice. We're talking the families through this is the evidence behind the strategy and this is how you take the strategy and turn it into therapy. And you have to be able to bridge super technical to layman's terms, right? And in the process of that, it is utterly exhausting because a lot of peds clinicians don't get the medical records. We deal with, um, unfortunately, sexist, racist physicians um, because it is still a predominantly white male role. And, and our valid conclusions can be negated. So like professionally... There's a lot of like stop gaps that we battle and that's, that's exhausting with that stress. So do you mind like sharing like what kind of stressors that you see, like the different, like, and, and what strategies we have available because that's, what are some tips for us? Help. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I, so all my clients, from, from before to now, that if you're not feeling any type of stress in a service industry, honey, I don't know if you're in a service industry because <laughs> we're, you know, because I mean, it's just, it's a stressful job because you're always giving of yourself. And when we're giving of ourselves, we're always going to need to refill that. And that's basically going to mean, how are you filling your cup? Because if you're not filling your cup, you can't do those things. And so I think that's super important to remember to fill your cup um, daily. 
And so there can be small things. I always tell people, figure out small self-care practices that you can do for yourself. Like for me personally, I am a fan of a good hot shower after a long day with my aromatherapy and I'll like even exfoliate, I'll put on a mask, like, and just like make it just, you know, do my eye patches, like all that kind of stuff and just make it luxurious because sometimes when we're in this field, we don't feel like we deserve to do things like that or we're such in a rush that we like, oh, I don't have time. But if you don't make time to fill your cup back up, how are we going to give things away in a service industry? We can't do that. And so it's super important for some people that's exercise, for some people that's cooking, for some people that's just spending some time, true time, mindful present time with your children when you go home or calling a a close friend to just talk. Um, And we're going to therapy once a week or every couple of weeks just to have an objective person that can help you process some of the feelings that you're having. Nothing wrong with that. And also just maybe just going, taking a walk outside. It doesn't even have to be like, you know, and it's beautiful this week. I mean, South Carolina decided good weather this week, so it's yeah. nice. So you can go, like I have sandals on today. Like you can go and walk outside, like feel the sunshine, just different things like that. Bike, go to the park, you know, just do things that are going to help you feel fulfilled because I think that's super important. Or even for some people, if you're spiritual prayer, devotionals, or just spending time with your, your higher power, I think that can be so important. It doesn't have to be big things things all the time. I mean, that's great if you want to go and go off to the cabin that you have and like, you know, spend a weekend there with your husband or your partner or whoever. If you can do that, that's great. Everybody can. And so taking little time pockets to take care of yourself daily is important or even um, incorporating deep breathing. I do tapping like we were talking about. Wait, can you describe the tapping? Yeah, sure. So, so tapping is basically a practice. It's called an EFT practice, so emotionally focused therapy practice, basically where we're targeting energy points in our body to help release, let's say, trapped tension. For some people, it might be tension, it might be stress, it might be anxiety or different things like that. So basically, it's where you go through a meditative sort of state where you're allowing yourself to tap. So we usually start off with um, tapping like our pinky right above the joint there, tapping, tapping, doing that on both sides. And then we'll move to the temple where our eyebrows are. And then we'll move to under our lip, under our eye, and then under the bottom lip. And then um, sometimes people do, sometimes people do it under their arms a little bit, under these a little bit, and then you're always going to end on your head. And you're going to do that and just doing that practice where you're mindful of your breathing and releasing that tension in those energy points can just help us feel more centered and also very relaxed and peaceful. And it can take less than 10 minutes because sometimes I'll do that if I have time in between sessions to reset or I'll do that at the end of the day just to um, get some good sleep or in the morning to start my morning with a good intention. So just different things like that can help. And I know it feels, you're like, why am I tapping myself? But it really works. Like it just helps you feel like you're releasing. Yes. So like bear, my bear has bear, bear is a train wreck. He's my little tiny, he's actually not as much as he was, but like he had preterm labor, all the things. And he had a helmet. So when he gets stressed, he still to this day, when he gets upset, he will come up behind me and like headbutt my butt because he, his um, head is now tall enough to hit like the, the base of my spine and like, and he'll headbutt, not like aggressively or hurt. And he just puts his little head there and he goes, today is hard. 
And I can tell when he's doing that, like he needs deep pressure. And I'm like, okay, so we started mm-hmm. doing the tapping, but we're doing it backwards. He'll, we start at the head and then we've been working out because he had issues with his torticollis on his right side. So we like tap through his muscles, but for him, I'll have to remember to stop on the head, but like that, I took that's that okay. Up. You can do it any, any way you want to, but that's just usually sometimes people will stop on the head, but you can, whatever pressure points feel good for him and you, that's what you do. Yes. But like, it has made a difference because like, we've done like the color coding, like you're in the red, man, bring it to the green. <laughs> and, he'll, and he'll tell us, he's like, I'm really red. And I'm like, yes, like, bring it back. But that, that as a parent with my child, the tap as I'm sitting here, y'all, and I'm tapping because it really does feel really good. So just like, oh, my other question, how many taps do I tap? OCD, but he always asked me that and I don't know that. Right. So it's whatever feels comfortable. Like some people use two to three fingers. Some people use one. And I usually tap like three times. So it's whatever feels comfortable for each part you're doing. So there's no right or wrong number. Okay. Okay. I just didn't know if it was like, you know, like when you're doing certain types of therapy, like it's very regimented. Right. And so like, Oh no, this is, this is very like whatever feels good for the individual. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well then I'll continue tapping Sir Bear. Okay. Yes, but it does. It works. Okay. So what other strategies do you have? And I'm super curious when you do two questions, when you do your facial routine, do you use the Jade roller? Cause I've seen that all over the internet. So I don't. So, so one fun fact about me is outside of, of Francis Marin, I'm actually a Mary Kay consultant as well. So <laughs> I do. <laughs> So I typically use my product because I haven't, I get it 50% off. So we actually have a skin vigorant brush. And then we also have, it's similar to a roller that goes with the brush that it presses your serums in. So I use like a vitamin C and E serum. So I put that on after I do um, my cleanser and then I put my night cream on um, or different things like that. And then we have hydrogel patches that I put under here for bags or anything like that. Um, And then we also have a charcoal mask. Perfect. As I'm sitting here, like middle-aged acne all over the place. (laughs) Okay. Cause I was just curious. Okay. Yes. Okay. So finding pockets of time, that is, that's a great strategy. A pocket of time. I like that. And if you're not sure of your pocket of time, one, one thing I always tell people is write out your schedule, like write it out on something like, right. If you have children, if you have a spouse that you're, you schedule, yep. Write it out because sometimes we think we're more busy than we actually are. And so when we write it out, we can see, and we can schedule self-care time. I think that's very important to put that in there. Like for me, I started scheduling in the mornings before I actually wake up, like I started doing 630 wake ups instead. I'm not like actually fully awake, but I'm allowing myself to wake up then so I can have quiet time. So I can set my intention for the day. I can do my tapping. I can do a devotional and then just slowly drink my coffee and then get into my shower, you know, get ready for work, whatever. And so instead of feeling rushed and for me, that works. I know for everybody that that might not work, but I just found that scheduling that type of time for myself allows me to start the day in a more relaxed, intentioned way. Yes. Okay. I, we, um, my husband and I do coffee every morning together. I make everybody's breakfast and pack his lunch and he makes fresh ground coffee and does it on a slow drip pour. He, he spoils. This is, this is, this is why 
one of the secrets to a great marriage 10 and a half years in and, and having that quiet time just to sit next to him and read Jesus calling on my cell phone immediately followed by the news, which sometimes I need to go back to Jesus calling after reading the news, but like that, (laughs) that is, that is helpful. Yes. Okay. All right. So what, what other strategies do you have for us, ma'am? I would say too, like, it's super important to have some kind of social support. So like, it, you know, whether whether you're near or far, I know with COVID, it's really hard to be with people physically sometimes, but just like video calling a friend or, you know, even writing a letter or um, just allowing, you know, a, like a small group of women or friends or men or whoever you're friends with to just allow them to, to be a part of what's going on with you. Because sometimes we can, when we're going through a season of toughness, uh, we sometimes like to keep things to ourselves and we isolate instead of allowing people that are really close to us who really care about us to support us. And I think that's super important instead of keeping everything inside. Yes, that is. But that's accurate because there's a song that I hear on the radio. It's like we say we're fine. Like I'm fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. And like I have found a direct correlation to the frequency with which I say I'm fine. It means I'm not okay. But I just have to keep on trucking because I am afraid that if I acknowledge that I feel inadequate or insufficient, that people that are relying upon me, somehow or another, I'm going to end up dropping that ball, if that makes sense. And and, and it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult to admit that you're not okay, but by extending myself grace and saying, hey, this season is hard. And I need a little more support here or by delegating and asking for help. And that for me, y'all personally, it's not enough for me just to say, okay, I'm drowning and I need help. I have to follow it with, can you person A specifically do this one task? Because otherwise everybody's like, oh, okay, well, I'll pray for you or, or how can I help? But like, there's no like specific task alleviation and mm-hmm. that sounds very analytical to say it that way but normally it's because like there's honest to god something that i need like one weird thing done like can you take child a to point b and and that helps right yes mm-hmm. also thank you sydney wolfong you're amazing for taking the boys to soccer practice <laughs> I mean, we need to do that. Like, I think sometimes, you know, I think that goes back to vulnerability where, especially as women, we sometimes think we're, we have to be superwoman and we have to do all these things and we have to handle all the things so gracefully and also, you know, be sexy and be awesome and do all these things, which <laughs> yes, we can. It was International Women's Day yesterday. Yes, we are all those things, but it's also okay if you're not all those things all the time. Mm-hmm. Because that's also part of being human and a woman. So it's okay to say, hey, can you help me do this? Or like, I'm really struggling emotionally. Can you pray for me? Or, you know, hey, this is going on. Do you mind taking kid A to point B or whatever? Or do you mind coming over and helping me do laundry? Or, you know, just whatever it is, you know, just so we can have that alleviation and feel that support. Because sometimes we're we're in a hard season, we can feel cold or we can feel distance 
distant from other people. And we need to feel that warmth that comes from supportive, caring, compassionate people. And if we don't reach out, people don't know what's going on. They can wonder and they can try to pry, but all the time people don't know what's living in here and here or in our heart or our head. So we have to express that with our words. Yes. Yes. And it's when, when your Monday through Friday is caring for others, come Friday night, you're toast. Like, honestly, if you don't, if you don't take care of it, because I mean, Friday night I'd get home and it's pizza movie night. And I just, I just need to sit with my mommy juice with Pinterest and just watch whatever alien scum be blown to smithereens because that's where we are in the world. Sorry. The boys are on this big alien kick right now. It's like (laughs) something will blow up on Friday night. And that, I mean, boys, right? Like this is, this is where Mm -hmm. we're at. But, um, I'm like, yep, I'm pinning fabulous cookie recipes and watching bits and pieces explode, um, which is also kind of therapeutic. See the murder mad. I, I circle back around to dark yeah. mysteries. Michelle got it. <laughs> I'm a true, I'm a true crime junkie. So I can't really say anything. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I have met so many speech pathologists that love listening to like the murder podcast and um, like, how they get away with murder. And I'm like, what is wrong with us that we're all secretly like, yes, but did you see that one person get dismembered? And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. I'm like fascinated by stuff like that. Like I watch all the documentaries about that. I watch YouTube. I follow people on YouTube that like talk about murder cases. I don't know why. Like I'm just, I just obsess about stuff like that. (laughs) See, it helps you process your Monday through Friday. Yes. Murder mad. (laughs) Yes. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Squirrel. Okay. So self-care strategy number 15, watch a murder, not in real life, just on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just on TV. Just on TV. (laughs) Okay. Oh my God. That's great. Okay. So, but really truthfully at the core of all of this, when we're not fine, our not fine and inability to take care of ourselves can impede and impair our clinical judgment. And at the end of the day, we have a code of ethics that we are all held accountable to. And if you are so stretched that your ability to assess and treat has been compromised, and it could just be true, genuine exhaustion or emotional, is the word li- emotional debility, liability? I, I can't. Liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that. That's problematic. And there's just a difference between having a bad day and then there's a difference to turning towards illicit substance abuse strategies to offset. That's This is the no-no zone, right? Right. So our job and what um, Kayla and I are trying to do is to give you the strategies so that you implement self-care here so that we don't make a wrong turn, right? Um, right. <laughs> That includes a murder mystery TV show. Go for it. Okay. So one thing that I have found, and I blame this on being a Pisces. I am totally an empath, right? And so are you a Pisces? Okay. I saw you nodding. Is somebody no, your mom a Pisces? No, not my mom is a Pisces. I'm a Sagittarius. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so with that, 
I, I mean, I blend, and Aaron, Aaron always does my, Aaron's, Aaron's my co-host on every fourth episode, and she always does, like, the mapping on, like, of my stars and the moon and, like, a Mercury planet or something. I don't understand all the details, but I do know that I'm an empath. So when I go into, when I go to a patient's house, I can, for lack of a better phrase, feel the room and, like, mm -hmm. I can pick up on what's going on with my families and their caregivers, and I sometimes struggle personally putting up that invisible like bubble, like making a bubble around myself and it will carry with me out the door. And when I go to the next patient's house, like I swear, like sometimes it's like I'm bringing the negative energy with me. And so I have to do the breathing in the car so that when I open that door, I am game on therapeutic presence. I am in, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes that doesn't work. But do you have suggestions or strategies for red flags when we're working with families? Like what, what, if I was a new clinician or if I was just making a transition into our world of, of healing, what should I look for in these individuals to say, hey, that caregiver could be burning out? Yeah, I think some really big signs are like maybe constant irritation or shortness with their child mm -hmm. um, or also just maybe look up severe tiredness, always sleepy, maybe like or, or sleep deprived. Um, also, you know, maybe their eating patterns are off or sometimes just constant attention own the child or the person they're caregiving and you're noticing they're not paying any attention to their self-care like maybe they look withered maybe they haven't showered or which I'm not going to judge anybody for that it was COVID like you know are they taking care of their adult living skills you know versus you know just taking care of their child or different things like that I think those are all signs of burnout um, that can happen or even sometimes just emotional numbness as well or sometimes being overly emotional um, to things that are maybe a little bit smaller not should maybe have such a severe emotional reaction um, to certain people. And so I think keeping in line and thinking about those things are super important because parents are people and clients are people. And it can be very hard, especially if you're dealing with a child, a young child who has needs and who doesn't understand you also have needs mm -hmm. as a parent and you have to take care of them because they're your little person, right? And so it's, it can be a lot. And some people really struggle with asking for help for themselves because they feel like that would be selfish or they don't know how to do that. They haven't been raised to do that. Um, and so it's really important when we're coming into a healing profession, especially, you know, with you guys being SLPs is to notice that and to be able to help them or guide them to services that are going to assist, assist them specifically individually. Because again, if they're caregiving, they cannot pour from an empty cup and that child deserves someone who's pouring from a full cup. Yes. 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 Okay. So if you're, if you're new to the world of home health, say you've come from like a private practice or like an outpatient clinic or heavens to Betsy's even impatient. What I have seen over the years is different parts of patients' homes will have visual clutter. I mean, as I'm sitting here, like literally looking at the clutter in my bedroom while we're recording, but <laughs> I can tell two things about myself. 
when there are excessive amounts of weeds in my gardens, like honest to goodness, you should see my Jane Magnolias right now. I need to get out uh, Jane. Mag- it's also goes by a tulip Magnolia. God, it's glorious this year, but there's weeds underneath of it. I know that I am, I am stretched because there's weeds in my garden. I have not allocated time to go out and weed it. Also, that's getting done this afternoon because I can't stand it any longer and I'm carving out the time. Um, I'll send you a picture when it's done. But um, <laughs> there's the same for your patient's houses. If you go in and like you see things getting stacked on top, those are all red flags for, okay, look, they're not even keeping up with like the basic, the basic to do's to run a household. So how are we doing? And one thing that is not covered is postpartum depression postpartum anxiety, and PTSD for a NICU-PICU family. It Mm -hmm. is incredibly traumatic to have a child in and out of the NICU and the PICU. And trauma is something that as a society, we do not talk about nearly enough, right? Like that should be something that's embedded in any allied health or medical program is red flags for trauma and how to cope and work through trauma because y'all we're gonna you're gonna find yourself in a traumatic situation and event just doing home health. I got attacked by a pack mm-hmm. of chihuahuas. I do not like chihuahuas anymore. Yeah, me, they're fierce. They are, right? It was a tiny pack of all these little fluffy things on a red dirt road. Like no. Yeah. Um, but those those to me are red flags. And the mom is not especially with postpartum, if the mom's not reaching out, touching and engaging the child, or if they're hovering mm-hmm. too much, I don't know how to describe that or quantify that better, but do you, like, does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's almost like when they're not touching and doing things, it's you, you visibly, it's palpable distance from the child. Yeah. Whereas when you when you've just had a child, it shouldn't feel that way. And then when they're overly anxious with the child, it's like the child, it's like they're constantly checking the child's breathing or like they're doing things that like, okay, you have to let, you have to let the child be like, it's like, you're not allowing the child to like, you know, kind of have a little bit of long space. Um, You're always in their space. And then sometimes that can be when they get older, helicopter parenting and just different things like that. But (laughs) I'm just laughing because I had, um, the very first time anybody asked me about my postpartum was an interpreter. And it was my like first week back to work. And she was like, Michelle, she was like, and I can't, she had the most beautiful lilt in her voice. And she was like, how was your postpartum? And I was like, I'm okay. She reached over and she took my hand and squeezed, she squeezed it. And she goes, Oh mama. And then I was like, I'm a train wreck. And like, you know, we were there to do therapy with the, um, the other mommy's child. And next thing I know, they've got soup whipped up and a cup of coffee and we're all eating and having a party. And like all three of us are crying about postpartum and y'all that's, this is part of self-care when you go back to work after having a tiny human or say your child has been sick and then you're going back, taking care of another mother who's in the same situation can pull your trigger points. So are you addressing it with your families and in turn addressing it with yourself? Okay, so technical cleanup. If you recognize that a family is in a place of crisis mode, you are a mandatory reporter. So you do have to report these over. 
I would reach out um, if you're concerned about an immediate threat for the child's safety and well-being. That's DSS 911 pediatricians. Talk to the people that um, you work for and find out um, like what's in the policy and procedure manual. You know what I mean? Like every most facility mm-hmm. does that. Um, but I mean, I've I've also worked with families where the parents have been upfront in the beginning. Um, mom has um, baseline bipolar. She couldn't take her medications during the pregnancy. We're breastfeeding. We can't go back on our medications right now until such and such a date and time. All of those factors play in, right? That will shape your plan of care and your actions. So make sure that you're making informed clinical decisions based off of the content that you have and make sure you have good information. Yes. Okay. So what else do you have to add for this? I would say, you know, just piggybacking on what you said is really noticing what's going on with the families and being an advocate. Cause think about it. Like I'm from a teeny small town. Like, so (laughs) a lot of things, so, and I have a big family. So a lot of things when I, before I got into this field, I didn't know the names of, and, you know, just, just being from a country, little town. And so it's like some of them, some of this stuff you're going to have to break down to your people and be like, you know, like, like, you know, I had an aunt that was schizophrenic. I didn't know what schizophrenia was. I just knew that she saw things or like when my grandma had a nervous breakdown, like it wasn't, it was just a nervous breakdown. Like we didn't say like, oh, da, da, da. so sometimes your verbiage matters, like how you're speaking to them, get on their level. The same thing, same thing you do with a kid. Like sometimes they need you to, to talk to them in a way that that's going to meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And also that's non non-judgmental because a lot of this carries a lot of shame for a lot of people because nobody wants to feel like they're distant from their child. Nobody wants to feel like they're not a good mother or caregiver. Nobody wants to feel like a lot of parents feel like they failed when something happened to their child, which is, has nothing to do with them. Um, but they, there's just a lot of shame and guilt tied up in a lot of things as, of caregivers. And I think if we can alleviate some of that by being non-judgmental, compassionate, and using our words and our tone and our body language in a positive way can be so helpful. Because I tell my students all the time that I teach, as well as my clients, you never know the seed that you planted in someone that will take root and that could be helpful to them the rest of their lives. You have no idea. One word, one statement, one paragraph from you could mean a, a complete paradigm shift for that person. So watch your words and your tone and your body language closely because that all matters. Yes. Squirrel, this is related. I have, have you ever read the five love languages? Yes. I love the five love languages and I have it in my office. Right. And one of, one of the students came in and she was stretched. She was, um, stretched and stressed about all the different things and experiences and external clinical practicum and not being your family. And da, da, da. And she made the comment and she said, she was like, yeah, I just don't feel their, their love because they do X, Y, and Z. And after I read the five love languages, I was like, okay, so they're doing acts of service, but yet her love language is words of affirmation and she doesn't recognize that that variation, right? 
And so I, I told her, I was like, so I have a really weird suggestion. And she was like, all right. <laughs> and so then like, I told her, I'll read the book. And, and she brought it back or like a couple weeks later, cause she ended up asking for my coffee. And I was like, sure. And she goes, I'm going to be a better therapist. And I was like, yeah, baby. Yes. But really truthfully, like that's, so I promise this is related when we're talking and working with our families and giving strategies, listen to how those families are conveying it because they could be speaking from a different love language. It, um, help me out here. It's touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, gift giving, and oh, what's the other one? It's not oh. acts of service. It's something else though, but. Oh, I don't gosh. have my stuff in nearby. Somebody somewhere is like screaming right now. I know. Access service touch, words of affirmation, gift giving, and something else romantic and lovely. And when you guys figure it out, message us. <laughs> I know my number one is words of affirmation. So yeah. yep, that um words of affirmation. And touch were tied for me. And then the next one was um, um, was acts of service. And I was that that's because that's how I, I, I show is by acts, right? And if you've ever come near me, I will hug you. And I, this is COVID's <laughs> killed me because I'm such a hugger that like, it's like, rah. I'm like, <laughs> okay. But, yeah, but those are, all of those are key. Now, one thing that you touched on, that's near and dear to me personally. Um, I had an aunt that I never knew. She was 12 or 12 years older than my mom. She had bipolar depression back in the day when they did like lobotomies and like all sorts of like electric shock therapy. And like the treatment methodology was worse than the actual disease. And she committed suicide when she was 24 years old. And my mom found her on Christmas day. And half of her brain was missing. And Christmas for my mom's side of the family has never been the same. No. And my grandma is, it it broke my grandma. But the problem was mental health was not talked about in my, on that side of the family. Now on my daddy's people, oh, you, you, you put a prayer on everybody. You sit down. How are you? How are you? How are your people? You take their hands. I mean, it's, it was, it's literally that different, how the different families engaged, but some of us still come from families that they don't talk about this. So how do we as clinicians overcome those barriers in our own upbringing to reach out? Like, do you have strategies for that? And do you have strategies for like, how do we find resources? I think one big thing is to just normalize the conversation with the families. Like, you know, do a check-in. Like every time you go see a kid, like, how are they doing? Also checking in with the family. Like, how are you guys doing? On a on a scale from one to 10, 10, 10 being, gosh, you're doing super fantastic, fabulous. And one being, I'm horrible. Like, I need to, I need to get out. Like, where are you at? And just keeping a, a measure on that and talking to them and like, you know, you know, how have you been feeling? Because some people really don't have anybody that listens to them or someone who asks them how they're actually feeling. 
90% of Americans walk around and have no idea what's going into going on in their internal state because nobody acts. And so it's the simple act of how are you? How are you feeling? Give me a real feeling word, not I'm fine. What's a feeling word? You can have a chart that says like, you know, pick one. Like, which, what are you feeling today? And like really having that. I, I start, candy. Yeah. Well, I start laughing because they did that at the beginning of the school year with my second grader and Goose and Goose came home and he like, and his teacher messaged and she was like, Rylan is not participating in the morning feelings chart. And I was like, Goose, baby, you got to make a selection. He goes, I don't like any of those emotions. And I was like, wait, what? And he goes, none of those emotions are how I feel. And he showed me the emotion words. And I was like, those are stupid emotion words. But like, I couldn't tell my kid that. So I'm like, I'm like, what the heck are they? And I was like, could you please add? And then I gave like some additional emotion words, like anxious, joyful, because we use million dollar words in our home. And he knew right. that. And he's like, these are, these are small words. I don't like those. No. And so that's why it's yes. important to, to add those yes. so that people like Goose can be like, Hey, this is really how I'm feeling. I'm <laughs> Not this little word. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, and can I'm, they add a hot mess? I'm sorry. He, honest to goodness was like, can they add hot mess? And I was like, why are you feeling like a hot mess? And he was like, um, and my husband was like, um, and I was like, everybody be quiet. So like, <laughs> that's good he has he has good emotional words you know a lot of people we still have to teach them that when they get older because nobody ever taught them that feelings are like cake they're layered you don't have to just feel one thing and so it's important to let people know that and that it's okay that you know I can feel one way in the morning and I can feel totally different by the time I lay my head on the, on the pillow and it's okay to say that feelings can move, feelings can change like the waves. They don't have to stay the same. They're not concrete things. They're very much abstract. And so I think allowing people that verbiage and having that open conversation with them as a, a service provider is really important. And resources are important too. That could be, you know, showing them self-help things they can do, books they can read, or even having worksheets that they can do themselves, or also talking to them about their insurance provider because you can go on there and look and see about therapists that are in network with your insurance provider. If you don't have insurance, but you do work, uh, a lot of places do have employment assistant programs, which they call EAP, and they will pay for a certain amount of therapy for not only you, but your spouse and also your children. And so most workplaces do do that. If not, they'll refer you out and um, they don't even know what's, they won't, you know, the clinician will never release what's going on with you. They'll just, they'll just send the payment information to your um, employee office, which is super important. And there's also a lot of clinicians that take pro bono cases. Uh, if you have Medicaid or Medicare, there are plenty of providers that take that. Um, and then also if you, if transportation is an issue, uh, a lot of clinicians offer virtual options now because of COVID. Uh, there are even online options like BetterHelp or different things like that, where you can do um, text-based, you can do virtual, you can do um, phone, and you can also do in-person depending on what you would like or what you feel comfortable with with what we have going on. And so there's so many different things. And there's also support groups that you can get hooked up to. Either a lot of hospitals sometimes have support groups for parents who might have a NICU uh, baby, or sometimes even social media is really good about finding positive community, community pockets, uh, keyword positive, 
not negative, but finding groups that have similar issues that you might have and having a community because there are a lot of people that do have online communities for um, parents who like have autistic children or parents who have, you know, speech language disorders or different things like that, how they cope and giving each other advice and support online. And so, and then there's also in-person support groups, but you know, because of COVID, some of that stuff has moved online. So that's super important to get plugged into what you have in your community as supports as well as your family. And that could be support as well. So folks off the top of my head, Feeding Matters does parent mentorship and parent coaching for children that have pediatric feeding swallowing disorders. And remember, swallowing disorders are now housed under the umbrella, the larger word of pediatric feeding disorder, like an oropharyngeal dysphagia can contribute to a PFD. I'm sorry, we're getting a new R code in October and like, it's like, I feel like we're in the big (laughs) leagues now. March of Dimes has some NICU support folks. um, And Look at your state special needs associations. Like here in South Carolina, we have family mm-hmm. connections. And I remember years ago when I first learned about family connections for like special needs support parents, one of the mom goes, mm, I only meet the group on Thursday. I don't go to the group on Tuesday. And I was like, why? She goes, the group on Tuesday, half them women need to be committed. But the group on Thursday, they drink margaritas and have pizza. And I was like, oh my oh, God. Okay. I was like, we're... I'm now concerned about the group on Tuesday, but like, yay, you found your, you found your tribe, lady. You found your tribe. Found your people. Yes. Yes. That was just, oh my Lord. That was a fun mom. She always had cake. I love the parents that feed you. I, I mean, something about treating a disorder, like everybody feeds you when you're treating a feeding disorder. Yes. With, with the parent support groups, we have to know in the world of speech pathology, what are practices and stay within that we are not there to be the family's counselors right we can say this is a concern here are the resources tell the pediatrician this is a concern here are some unique resources especially as it pertains to our world of language aac dysphagia those kind of things now for us we have to practice our own self-care and, you know, speak up for your colleague when you see them floundering and failing too. But I had one of my girlfriends um, who had started going to a counselor and I was super proud of her. Um, bless it. She was like, it started out going really good. She was like, but then like something went awry and I'm not sh- really feeling this counselor anymore. So wh- what do you, what are the strategies for that? Like, what if, what if you go to a couple of sessions and you find that the person that they're not your person? Right. And, you know, I always tell people, if you, I tell the first session, I tell my people, you and I might not jail, but that's okay. Cause we got other people in this office that you can see, and it does not hurt my feelings if you need to do that. Cause it's not about me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can, it's repairable. So, so I do advocate sometimes if you, you're feeling a, a weirdness or like something feels off, I address it with me because it might be that I'm thinking one way, but you're like, no, cause you're the person who's going to tell me about your life. So you can always correct me. And if that's still not feeling right, definitely switch to another person. Like you do not have to stay with somebody for life. Now that's great. If you do, we love that. But if not, that's okay. Like we're, you know, we're, there's so many of us out there, you, male, 
female, non-binary, you know, LGBTQIA plus plus. Like there's so many of us out there that have specialties and that have different personalities and styles. And if you know that person's style or personality is just not dealing with yours, it is okay because again, it is not about us. It is about your wellness. So if it's not going to work for you, find somebody that's going to work for you. Beautiful. Yes. Now y'all are held to HIPAA just like we're held to HIPAA. And I did have a couple of students, you know, they they were worried about, you know, well, what if I go to counseling? Is that going to impact my participation in clinical practicums? Or is that going to um, impact like my, and I'm like, no, honey, you, you take Ooh. care of you. Right. Also, I got to quit calling everybody, right. honey, but like how Southern am I? Everybody's a honey, right? Like everybody's honey sugar, baby. Yes. Do you, do yes. You? <laughs> Darling, now I got you. I, I mean, I can turn that on real quick, <laughs> but, but that's, but it is. So if you are a, what is it? Hashtag SLP to be, I feel like I do a hashtag. I don't know. There's, is there a hand symbol for hashtags? I don't know, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure I could ask you as you could tell me, but um, if you're an SLP to be, if you're an undergraduate student, if you're a graduate student, my goodness, if you're a high schooler and you're contemplating this field, then you can reach out for counseling and it's FERPA protected which is the, I don't know yes. technical, what does FERPA stand for? Do you know what FERPA stands for? Oh, Lord, if you wouldn't have asked me, I would have told you. But basically, it's just saying that your information at a, at a college is protected no matter what anyway. And then a counseling person is also HIPAA protected. And if we go into AOD or different things, there's like some other stuff that protects that even more. So trust me, none of your information gets anywhere. We don't report that to anybody. If you sign a consent and you want us to report something to somebody, we will, but if you do not, it don't go anywhere. It's literally in the space in my room. And then when you leave, it's, you, you, you need, it was gone. Like, it's like, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's good. So, but when, again, remember your cup, if your cup is empty and I'm not talking about like your literal, I mean, like literally I'm almost out of Earl Grey over here. So I am going to have to fill that. But like, <laughs> if, if, if your figurative cup is empty, you are not prepared for passing the praxis exam, which is the test that we have to pass in order to get a license. Whoop, whoop. And you won't be able to go start your CF. You won't be able to successfully participate in your 13th year of being a practitioner because you're wrung out. So also, I think I've been practicing slightly longer, maybe less. I don't know, but there's that. <laughs> so, okay. So what, what other tidbits of information do you have for us? that we haven't covered? What else do you, is there anything else that we need to clarify, cover, address? I think the last thing that I'll say is just basically, it's okay not to be okay. And the first step of any of the self-care is acknowledging I'm not okay. And to reach out, because if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to be a, a good practitioner. You're not going to pay attention. You're not going to be mindful and present, which is all the things you need to be to be a service provider. And so I'm going to go ahead and take the label off for you. There are no labels through here. Nobody is crazy. Nobody is, you know, out of sorts. It is normal to not be okay. If you are not human, which I hope that you're human and not a robot, then that means that sometimes you're not going to be okay. And we have to acknowledge that. When you said not a human, I was like, but are they an alien? Because we've been watching that show Alien Resident with the boys. And like, <laughs> I mean, 
true? Like, are you, are you a body snatcher? What are you? <laughs> What's happening right now? Okay, sorry, y'all. I could just <laughs> adding a little bit of humor there at the end. Okay. Y'all, we'll touch back on this again in the future because this is important for us professionally. So that's why every couple months I bring this back up because I care about this and I care about our well-being. So um, if you're looking for some more immediate SLP-related services, go check out Jesse Andrix with Stress Management. She has a podcast and she's got a killer website um, filled with like SLP resources. So I would, and um, she also does yoga and she does like mindful yoga moves for SLPs, which is like adorable. There it is. All right, Kayla, you're amazing. I know I told you Thank this when you came, like, but like we, the SLP at FMU loves you. So like, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> like, uh, you're going to find bath bombs one day and be like, I mean, I already bribed her with wine and flowers. Now I'm going to hook her up with some bath bombs. Huzzah for self-care. Well, thank you. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Hold on one second and let me switch this over to questions. Okay. Oh, wait, everybody out there. Remember, we love it when you follow us on at First Bite on Instagram at First Bite on the Facebook page. Um, and we love it when you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. So go check out at First Bite on Apple Podcasts. Um, hook us up with some stars. So huzzah. All right. Switch to questions. Hold on one second, love. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, 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 hey.